0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops.
1: David, what's our card for this week? Two cards this week. Card number 263, Glenn Bragg's outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. And inexplicably, card number 639, the Milwaukee Brewers 1987 Team Leaders card, which features Glenn Braggs.
0: A true mystery that we will get to the bottom of on today's show. But before we get to that, we do have follow-up from last week's episode about George Hendrick.
1: I heard from listener bourbon underscore and underscore baseball on Instagram, a fun account talking about baseball cards, bourbon, baseball, good things, all the good things. He reached out and said that the picture of George Hendrick on his 1988 Topps baseball card was taken at Palm Springs Stadium. We were unsure where that was, but assumed it was somewhere in Southern California. And it was an odd layout of a stadium where you could kind of see some people's feet. And when I looked at the pictures of Palm Springs Stadium, it is definitely Palm Springs Stadium. And the risers are lifted off the ground so that people's feet are at about head level. This listener, Bourbon and Baseball, said that he used to ride his bike over to the stadium and watch games from under the oleander bushes under the scoreboard when he was a kid. He also said that George Hendrick was awesome. We got to the bottom of that. We always love to hear about some of these stadiums. Currently, the the Palm Springs power play in that stadium. We do love alliteration here.
0: Well, thank you very much, Bourbon and Baseball, for solving that mystery for us. Now we get to this week's cards, which have their own mystery. Why are we talking about Glenn Bragg's today?
1: Matt, you know it is the spooky season, the spookiest of seasons, as we are in Halloween weekend. And I want to give listeners a little bit of a behind-the-scenes into the process that goes into picking these cards. There is at least one card in this set that has a legitimately scary story of the extraterrestrial variety. But that guy has a really long career and I was not interested in a 20 plus season career. We do those and it takes forever. (laughs) So then I was looking into, you know, sometimes we get to some stories through like through the research process where we find out who went to a high school. Then we start talking about some random band. Well, I started to go backwards and I said, what high school did Bobby Boris Pickett go to? What high school did other famous spooky songwriters go to? and I found nothing. Players from Salem, Massachusetts, nothing. I got nothing. The spookiest baseball thing that I could find was a story about the Pfister Hotel. And this is a haunted hotel that baseball players specifically claim they have been terrorized by ghosts. There's all of these stories going back years, some retired players, some current players, about this hotel in Milwaukee, where road teams would stay there when they would make a trip to Milwaukee. And there's a story on MLB.com about this haunted hotel and all of the baseball stories.
0: Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. You pull pull it up and maybe just read a couple of these. You know, Bryce Harper, 2015, probably the biggest name on this list who had a spooky tale about the Fister. He said, While staying in the Fister in 2012, Harper had laid out his shirt and pants on a table by the end of the bed before going to sleep for the night and said, quote, when I woke up in the morning, I swear on everything. The clothes were on the floor and the table was on the opposite side of the room against the wall. I was so flustered. I honestly thought there might be someone in my room. I had no idea what the hell just happened, so I actually looked around and I checked to see if the door was still latched and it was.
1: Very spooky. G-Man Choi, on the other hand, who currently plays for the Rays, he said that he's seen ghosts before and that he felt one his first night in the Fister Hotel when he was playing for the Angels, and he said that his sleep was not good, but he also said that he feels comfortable when ghosts are present. He said, I was scared at first, so I didn't want to open my eyes. I dealt with that a lot more times after that. And he also said that he felt a spirit crawl up behind him to hug him, and another whispered in his ear. These are terrifying stories. I don't know why teams would continue to stay at this hotel. Also listed in here, John Gray, pitcher for the Rockies, at one point tried to do a ghost hunt at the Pfister Hotel. This was back in, I think, 2016. He walked around with a little ghost meter. I don't know what whether or not he found one, but John Gray is a semi-professional ghost hunter. So you know, because of this Milwaukee hotel and the spookiness happening at the Fister Hotel, I thought, let's talk about a Milwaukee Brewer.
0: That truly is a an incredible process
1: that led us to Glenn, to Glenn Braggs. I looked up what who was on the Milwaukee Brewers team leader's card, and I said, why the heck is Glenn Braggs on here? So again, not a spooky mystery, but a mystery. I don't know that we're going to solve why he was on there. Maybe it was just a a good picture also some other random dude on the card
0: and of course uh, getting two cards knocked out at once we always appreciate
1: Glenn Braggs had the physical attributes to be a superstar he did have a decent career played for a world champ and had some memorable moments in that world series he continued his career in Japan and he has a connection to 90s music we will see if listeners can guess who he was married to I bet they're never going to get it
0: quite a challenge there David so let's go to the front of car 263 and we have Glenn Braggs seated in the dugout or maybe kind of leaning maybe the top step of a of a dugout hard to tell maybe he's leaning against the roof of the dugout Uh, and he's got a blue fence behind him so this has another bit of a look of a a spring training kind of setup I like this powder blue Milwaukee shirt always like the script Milwaukee spelled out and the cuff with that blue and yellow I really like that. Glenn's got a nice tight haircut here and a thin mustache. He Looks pretty good. Although he's doesn't look very pleased to be doing whatever he's doing. He looks kind of nonplussed.
1: He's holding his hat. You can see his hat in his left hand. And I think there's a bat underneath his right hand. Maybe he's waiting for the batting cage. can also see the blue and yellow belt underneath his arm. And a little bit of a glimpse of the physical specimen that is glenn bragg's you can see a vein bulging out of that bicep on the right arm there
0: yeah and very noticeably strong forearms too so yeah this is looks like a strong guy now let's go to the back of 263 and we have glenn bragg's outfielder height 63 weight 210 right-handed batter and thrower drafted by the brewers in the second round of 1983 born October 17th. So happy 60th birthday, Glenn Braggs. Born in San Bernardino, California with a home in San Bernardino, California.
1: Glenn is from San Berdue, located in the Inland Empire region of Southern California. The city has grown from 90,000 when Glenn was born to over 200,000 now. Glenn was the 11th of 12 kids. He said that His mother stayed at home because there were so many kids. His dad was a laborer, and he worked really hard. The family didn't have much, but they were happy. Glenn went to San Bernardino High School. Notable alumni include Glenn Bell, founder of Taco Bell, Utah Jasmine, who attempted to guard Michael Jordan, Brian Russell, and Chester Carlson, who was the inventor of electrophotography and founder of Xerox. Glenn was a great high school player. In 1980, he was listed along with another top prospect from Southern California, Darnell Coles, as one of the local best players. Coles was picked in the first round of the 1980 draft. Braggs was picked a few rounds later in the sixth round, a few picks ahead of Randy Reddy. But Glenn had another opportunity, which was to play baseball in Hawaii. And so he chose to go to the University of Hawaii. Pretty good choice spend some college years in Hawaii, and he was a teammate of a future star and future Brewers teammate, Joey Meyer. While he was a Rainbow Warrior from 1981 to 83, he wasn't in the opening day lineup in 81 or 82, so not necessarily a huge prospect for Hawaii. I couldn't find much about his stats in those first couple seasons, but in 1983, he was outstanding. Both he and Joey Meyer hit over 350, Braggs hit 368, 11 homers, 32 steals, and 60 RBIs for a 1.093 OPS. His name is still on the single-season leaderboard for slugging, home runs, and RBIs at the University of Hawaii.
0: And that earned Glenn a draft upgrade and a This Way to the Clubhouse that Glenn signed as a second-round draft selection with the Brewers June 10, 1983 by Ray Pointevit
1: and Dick Erig. We talked about Ray Point of it in the Joey Meyer episode. He was the director of player procurement. He signed Dennis Martinez, Teddy Higuera, Juan Neves. He was involved in the Million Dollar Arm Challenge, which searched for pitching talent in India, and he was portrayed by Alan Arkin in the movie based on that story. He was one of the early international scouts. Dick Erig was a scout for the Milwaukee Brewers. I didn't find much about him. But Glenn, after signing as a second-round draft pick, went right to work at Rookie League in Paintsville, Kentucky.
0: Yeah, and honestly, he probably didn't need the stop in Rookie League. But it did earn him a fun fact that he led the Appalachian League with a 390 average in 1983 in 73 games that he played. He also hit 16 homers, 22 steals, and 54 walks. So good power, speed, and average. Great year, probably could have started at A ball instead. And also on that rookie team were Dan Playsack, Chris Bosio, and a young guy named Jim Morris. Morris got injured and was out of baseball by the late 80s, never making the majors. But then he went into teaching and coaching. And at 35, he promised his team he would try out for the Rays if the kids won their division. And Jim followed through, went on to play for the Rays, and was the subject of the film The Rookie, portrayed by Dennis Quaid.
1: I think that's an, an interesting note. This team had some future Brewer stars and also a future inspirational story in Jim Morris. Glenn was a really good minor league player, moves year after year through the minor league system for Milwaukee. Stockton, he hit 296, still has some power, 15 homers, drives in eighty six. Double A El Paso, 310, 20 homers, 20 steals, 103 RBIs. He finishes run through the minors at Vancouver. This Vancouver team was coached by Terry Boom Boom Bevington, and they went 85 and 53 to win the PCL North Division. Also on that team, Joey Meyer, his college teammate, Deion James, Charlie O'Brien, Dale Spame, guys who would play for the Brewers in the future and in the 1987 season. But Glenn wasn't there to play in the playoffs. He hit 360 with 15 homers, 22 steals, and a 1.058 OPS in 90 games to earn a call-up to Milwaukee in 1986. That first game was against Oakland. He went one
0: for four with a single off of Joaquin Andujar. And the Brewers team finished under 500. but they had some good veterans, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, Cecil Cooper, and Teddy Aguera. So the good foundations for what might be a decent team, at least. And Glenn didn't have that great of a first year. He played 58 games in the 86 season, had a 237 batting average, OPS plus of only 67. Not great in the field. 12 errors in 58 games, which is is pretty disappointing.
1: This was his worst season in the majors. So there was an adjustment period, but he did enough to stay up through the end of the season. He was clearly too good for the minors but wasn't quite there as a star in the majors yet. And he ends up starting 1987 as the presumptive starter in right field. And in the Sports Illustrated baseball preview, Glenn was called, quote, a 24-year-old Adonis playing only his first full season. So he's already developing a reputation for his physique. There is a quote from Bill James Historical Baseball Abstract that Kirby Puckett once said that his fantasy was to have a body like Glenn Bragg's. Kirby was a short squat man who didn't look like a baseball player. Braggs was about 6'3", slender, fast, very graceful, and of course, not one-tenth the player that Kirby Puckett was. Which, you know, not being as good as Kirby Puckett, he he was much better than Bill James is giving him credit there. While, of course, Glenn Braggs is not in the Hall of Fame and is not Kirby Puckett, that's not the standard by which we judge our players. And one-tenth the player? Come on. He's a Major League Baseball player. He's he's at least half the player Kirby Puckett was. But the other quote in this preview about Glenn was that his 9-10 fielding percentage was the worst for AL outfielders since Leon Wagner's in 1968. So clearly had some rough times in the outfield. The Brewers were also the 20th ranked team in Sports Illustrated this year. So there wasn't a lot expected from them out of in 1987.
0: Now that we're in the 1987 season, let's go to the Brewers team leaders card and introduce card 639. Looking on the front, we see Glenn Braggs on the right. I am not a doctor, but I didn't know that veins on the top of their wrist could pop out the way that Glenn Braggs' wrist is popping right here. His arm looks enormous, and he's talking to a gentleman I don't recognize who has one of the best mustaches I've seen.
1: It's a very good mustache. He's also got this nice, like, the hair over the ear thing going on. Does Glenn need to drink more water? Is that how you get rid of those veins?
0: I Yeah, he must be very dehydrated or just lifting incredible amount
1: of weight. Yeah, he looks... This is... We pointed out when we see a guy who actually looks athletic in some of these because so often some of these guys look pretty normal. But Glenn just... He's just ripped.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's talking to a guy in the batting cage, and this is the hitting coach for the Milwaukee Brewers, Tony Muser. He played nine years in the majors, mostly for the White Sox and Orioles. He had been a minor league manager and then was the Brewers' third base coach in 1985. And in February of 1986, a really bizarre incident happened at the Brewers' spring training facility, Compadre Stadium in Arizona. A worker turns on a heater in the coach's room. Unfortunately, there was already some gas flowing through that heater, and the heater kicking on ignites the gas and causes an explosion, which injures nine players and coaches, including Muser. He suffered second- and third-degree burns over 55% of his body, spent months in a burn unit, and rejoined the team in mid-May. He wasn't fully recovered enough to take over the team late in the season, but it was believed that he might have been in line to be the next coach when George Bamberger retired. But instead, Muser takes over as the hitting coach, later would manage the Royals in the late 90s, early 2000s. But he had this really just a shocking incident being in an explosion and was back with the team within a couple months.
0: Just goes to show that the need for heat pumps to replace gas heating. 1986 would have been the best time, but the second best time is now, David. So good job on Tony in recovering uh, and being ready, you know, to be in this shot here for the team leaders. But why on earth is the picture Glenn Braggs talking to him? We flip to the back of the card and we see, obviously, the, the hitting coach is not a, one of the team leaders. And Glenn Braggs is not one of the batting team leaders. Everyone on the offensive side of the ball having the team leader stats is a name you know. Rob Deere with 28 home runs. Robin Yount leading the team in RBIs, triples, and hits. And Paul Molitor leading in runs, stolen bases, and batting average, and doubles. So really clear who the, the offensive leaders are. Pitching leaders, Mark Clear with, an, with 58 games played. Teddy Higuera leading most of the pitching stats. Dan Plesac with 23 saves.
1: So maybe they have Tony Muser on there because this team did hit really well. Paul Molitor's 353 average and also Molitor had a 39-game hitting streak, but maybe it should have been Molitor and Yount, their two future Hall of Famers, instead of Glenn Braggs, a relatively young, he was okay outfielder and the hitting coach. This is the second card with a guy on the front of the card who is not a player or a manager after Red Shandienst on the Cardinals team leader's card, but still an odd choice. Clearly, Glenn is a, a face for the future of this franchise at this point. And this Brewers team was known as Team Streak. They started the season 13-0. And that's different than the people on the field at 10 cent beer night. Different team streak here.
0: That 13-0 start tied the major league record for most wins to start a season. Glenn started every game in April. He hit 296. With four home runs and 14 rbis that first month of the season he played in the juan Nieves no hitter and the team started the season 18 and 2 tied for the best record through 20 games then the cool off happened for the brewers and for glenn in the month of may they lost 12 in a row and were down around 500 at the start of june Glenn hit only 200 in May and 207 in June. After that fast start, Milwaukee was under 500 in the first half of the season. But in the second half, inspired by Paul Molitor, the Brewers turned it around. They were 49-28 and 28 the back half of the season. And Paul Molitor had a 39-game hitting streak. Glenn also picked it up in the second half. Hit 299 in the back half to close the season with a respectable 269 for his first full season in the majors. 13 homers, 12 steals, and 77 RBIs. And the Brewers won 91 games, including a 20 and 9 record in the month of September. It wasn't good enough to win the division. They were in third place, but this is a lot better than where the Brewers had been in the past.
1: They ran into the unfortunate situation of being in the same division as two very good teams in Detroit and Toronto. I was impressed by Glenn's season here. The 77 RBIs, I wouldn't have pegged him for that. That was a, a pretty good year, and as well as double digits in home runs and steals. So, decent power and decent speed. 1988, the Brewers only won 87
0: games, still above 500. But closer to the AL East title, they finished in third place, two games behind the Red Sox and one game behind the Tigers. And unfortunately for the Brewers, Glenn was injured. He might have made a difference in closing that gap, but he wasn't available.
1: He was hitting pretty well, 261, 10 home runs and 42 RBIs through June 28th, which happened to be my eighth birthday. He was on pace for a 20 home run season, and then he had arm pain. His injury was odd. Doctors said that they had only seen it once before in Bruce Suter's arm. It was a right shoulder nerve impingement. Glenn talks to Souter, asks him how this surgery went, and Bruce convinces him that it's the right choice for him to have surgery on his right shoulder to heal this impingement. Unfortunately, that shuts him down for the rest of the season. By spring of 1989, Glenn's back. He's moved to left field now. And the Brewers tell him to take it easy with his throws. They said runs conceded in Arizona now might be careers saved in the future. So he's supposed to take it easy, learn a new position. He ends up playing a career-high 144 games, and he was okay for a Milwaukee team that was also okay. He hit two forty-seven with 15 homers and 17 steals, both of which would be career highs, as would his 111 strikeouts.
0: 1990 would also be a big year for Glenn. Started out pretty nondescript, 248 average through June 9th. And then the Brewers were looking for pitching, needed to make a deal. So they dealt Glenn and Billy Bates for two of our previous cards. It's a 1988 Tops podcast special, Ron Robinson and Bob Sebra.
1: The true creature. Ron Robinson went on to have a very good year for the Brewers. He went 12-5 and in 22 starts. But Glenn wasn't so sure about this trade when he was initially told about it. He was platooning with Greg Vaughn, who at that time was a young star, coming up. And Glenn said he came to the ballpark one day. Tom Treblehorn said, you've been traded. Glenn said, I was at first bummed out because all the guys on that team I'd come up with through minor leagues. These were guys I knew and loved. So it was going to be a tough transition. But Glenn also grew up as a Reds fan, and he idolized George Foster and the Big Red Machine. So he gets traded to Cincinnati, and he picks George Foster's number 15. It also helped that the Reds were in first place from the first game of the season in 1990. So Glenn joins a 34-17 and Reds team that's well in first place by June 9th.
0: They kept the number one spot all season, winning 91 games, finishing five games ahead of the Dodgers in the National League West. Glenn hit 299 with six home runs, an OPS plus of 123 in the 72 games for the Reds that he played. He was a valuable backup for Billy Hatcher and Paul O'Neill in the outfield. In the playoffs, Glenn didn't do a whole lot at the plate. He went one for nine in four games, but he did have two memorable highlights.
1: In the NLCS against the Pirates, the Reds go into game six at home, up three games to two. In the eighth inning, the Reds are leading two to one. Glenn comes in to play right field. He pops out in the bottom of the eighth inning, top of the ninth, one out. Barry Bonds takes a walk. He's the tying run. Carmelo Martinez is at the plate against Randy Myers. He is not going. And a fly ball into right field. Braggs is back near the wall.
0: And he has it. Out.
1: How close was that? Two out. I told you the outfielders were beat to try to cut down on
0: the extra base hit. Two out. I think that ball would have been out had Braggs not been there. That ball may have had enough height. Martinez again to right field. The only hit a ball to right field earlier. And watch Braggs go up at least to the yellow line. That ball's a home run. That ball is a home run, I believe, had he not been there.
1: Right, it would have been. And the crowd saw the replay. That's the noise they're making. And the Reds are one out away from the National League pennant. And we did consult with Grandma's scorebook to see if she had anything to say about this. She wrote, fly out right field, Bragg saved a home run in ninth inning. She wrote it twice on the scorecard for good measure. And this play was also immortalized in bobblehead form. So there is a bobblehead of Glenn making this leaping grab. The next batter, Don Slott, strikes out to end the game and sends the Reds to the World Series.
0: In the World Series, Glenn was a pinch hitter for Hal Morris in the eighth inning of Game 2. He came to the plate with the Reds down 4-3. to three, One out and runners on first and third. He grounds into a fielder's choice, but Billy Hatcher scored from third to tie the game. Glenn was replaced in the ninth inning, and the Reds wanted in 10.
1: Game four, the Reds are up three games to none. They're looking for this improbable sweep. Eric Davis in the first inning tries to catch a Willie McGee line drive, ends up lacerating his kidney. The A's go up one to nothing. In the top of the second, Glenn comes in to replace Davis, and he had perhaps the moment of his career, and it's Kind of ridiculous that this single moment led friend of the show, Ryan Fagan, to write a whole article about one swing. And we're not talking about a game-winning home run. It's not even an out. This is a single swing where Glenn misses the pitch. And Ryan's article is called, The Oral History of Glenn Braggs and the Most Epic, World's, the Most Epic World Series Swing and Miss Ever.
0: Glenn comes to the plate against Dave Stewart. The count goes to one and one. Tim McCarver and Jack Buck are, are talking about Glenn's musculature. We
1: mentioned it before. This fellow has a tremendous physique. He's built more like a football player than a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an example. That's how strong he is, folks.
0: Holy cow. What is going on have here? Have you ever seen that before? No. I never have. What is going on? I have never
1: seen that before. He swung and missed and
0: broke the bat. We kiddingly talk about it. He's built more like Fort Braggs. Now look at this.
1: It hits his bat back and breaks in two. The bat just snaps. And Glenn said that he wasn't surprised. His face was angry that he missed the ball. Because this is the World Series, he's brought in to replace Eric Davis. He said his adrenaline was so high that he thought, if I swing with everything I've got, I'm going to hit the longest home run I've ever hit. He did that. He didn't hit the ball. But as he followed through, the bat just snaps in his hands, either hitting his back or the speed of trying to, to pull the bat back. And so he he walks toward the dugout in disgust and just kind of tosses the bat nonchalantly. There's a great picture of him just throwing these two pieces of a bat like it's nothing. And I guess it just shows the strength of of Glenn Braggs and the upper body strength. Jamie Quirk was behind the plate. He and home plate umpire Ted Hendry later discussed it and said they have never seen anything like that. The next year it would happen again against the Pirates. And after that one, catcher Don Slot said, there are four people who, when they would swing, you could just hear the bat go through the strike zone. Mike Piazza, Daryl Strawberry, Eric Davis, and Glenn Braggs. When you're catching, you could just hear this audible swish of the bat. And so Glenn had this amazing physical strength and arm strength and a fast and kind of violent but smooth swing. He ends up flying out to end that at bat, but his strength and power are really immortalized by Tim McCarver and Jack Buck in that call.
0: As far as his performance, he went 0 for 3 with a walk and drove in a run on a fielder's choice. The Reds won the game 2-1 to one and won an improbable World Series against the A's. In 1991, the Reds had a lot of injuries and couldn't repeat their 1990 success. They finished under 500. Braggs played 85 games with a two hundred sixty average and 11 homers and was shut down at the end of August due to injuries. But he did participate in a classic prank around this time, the three-man lift.
1: I think we've discussed the three-man lift maybe in the Burt Blylevin episode of Classic Pranks. In this prank, there's a bet taken that a player could lift three players at the same time. The three players who are chosen are unsuspecting rookies. They're told to lay down and lock arms on the ground. While they're doing that, and this player is about to lift them up, all the other players kind of pin them down and spray them with whipped cream, shaving cream. And it's a rookie hazing kind of thing. But with Glenn Braggs, And everybody seeing his physique and knowing how strong this guy is, maybe he could actually lift those three guys. So he participates in this prank and in it, there's a shirtless Glenn Braggs stomping around the clubhouse and then some rookies in the unfortunate position of uh, getting sprayed with all sorts of nasty stuff.
0: Good punking of those rookies. 1992 heading into the season... The Reds had too many outfielders. Glenn and Billy Hatcher were both set to make over a million dollars. So the Reds wanted to cut payroll. Hatcher ended up traded in July. And Glenn stuck around, but wasn't happy about the amount of playing time that he was getting. So he publicly complained, much to Lou Pinella's chagrin. But they worked it out. The Reds were good that year, winning 90 games, but finished eight games behind Atlanta. Glenn played 92 games, hit two thirty-seven with eight home runs. A memorable moment was August 20th in New York. The Reds wore some old school jerseys, some throwbacks to the 50s and 60s, sleeveless shirts where most guys
1: wore a red undershirt. Back in the day, Ted Klazowski would cut the sleeves off his undershirt, let his guns out, sons out, guns out for Ted Klaziewski. Glenn's teammates insisted that he do the same. They said... You've got to do it. You've got to do it. So they cut my sleeves off. They made me go out there with my guns out. I didn't want to do it, but they made me do it. Sure, Glenn. Sure. <laughs> but in this game where Glenn's got his his muscles out, he ends up driving in three runs, all of the Reds' runs. They're up three to one in the ninth inning. And then Rob Dibble blows the safe, giving up a walk-off three-run home run to Bobby Bonilla right over Glenn's head.
0: Oof. After the game, the emotions are high. Lou Pinello ripped a water fountain off the wall. Rob Dibble threw a weight through a water cooler, busting it up. And Glenn showed that those muscles aren't just for show. He ripped the clubhouse door off the wall, it was bolted into the concrete. And Hal Morris said, my jaw just dropped. Like, how did he do that?
1: Glenn said, I offered to pay for it, though. They didn't accept, but I offered to pay for it.
0: Glenn's season came to a close on September 10th against Atlanta. In the top of the second, he had a home run off Steve Avery. But while swinging, he tore cartilage in his knee, and he barely made it around the bases. He was taken out of the game, and his season was over. And that would... Be the last major league at bat for Glenn's career.
1: So in November of 1992, Glenn is looking for a new place to, to play. He knows that he's getting up there in age, and he's uh, he's been a backup. He's going to have to take a pay cut. Maybe he's going to have to platoon, and he doesn't want to do that. He gets an offer from the Yokohama Tayo Whales in NPB. In 1993, they would change their name to the Yokohama Bay Stars. The Bay Stars had Hashi as a mascot. And this is a man with a star head and a backwards baseball cap. It's kind of a weird looking guy. But since 2012, they have a mascot named DB Starman, who is a hamster. And according to Mascot Wiki, he is a brown hamster with pink star markings on his paws. And he is very chonky. True. I've seen a picture of DB Starman. He is quite chonky. In 1993, Glenn also had a big personal moment. He married Cindy Heron, who is one of the founding members of En Vogue. And I would say, Glenn Braggs, what a man. What a man. What a man.
0: What a a mighty, mighty good man. Glenn hit three forty-five with 19 homers in only 72 games that first year with Yokohama. He had a 29-game hitting streak, which was the best by a foreign player, breaking the record set by Tony Bernazard, and has since been broken by Cubs legend Matt Merton. In 1994, he played the full season and hit 315 with 35 homers. An OPS over one, 1.023, and he made the Central League best nine that season. A really good idea to make this move to Japan. Over four seasons, he averaged 300 and hit 91 home runs. However, in his time with Yokohama, the team never finished higher than fourth place. His production tailed off in 1996. He was 33 years old at this point and he decided to retire. So, closing the book on Glenn Bragg's seven seasons in the majors, a 257 average, 70 home runs, 102 doubles, 321 RBIs, an OPS plus of 98, and one World Series ring. In four seasons in the NPB, he had 404 games, a 300 average, an OPS of 941. With 91 homers and 260 RBIs. How about in retirement?
1: Glenn went into real estate and he was a dad. He and Cindy Heron had four kids. They were married for 29 years before recently uh, Cindy filed for divorce earlier in 2022. Their first child was born in 1994. Their youngest, Solomon, is a teenager. When Solomon was six months old, he was diagnosed with a retinal blastoma, a tumor in his eye. And Solomon went to Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, which is a place that Glenn had gone often to visit kids while he was playing. Children's Hospital operated on Solomon. They ended up removing his eye and he is healed fully. Glenn has returned over the years to support the hospital and tell his family story. He still works in real estate as well as doing some personal training in the LA area. And he remains in pretty great shape and maybe got like even more jacked. In, in retirement. <laughs> so Glenn Braggs is this guy who was built like a linebacker, blessed with all of the physical gifts and the work ethic to maintain that physique, but he just never quite hit the next level of startup. On this card, he's 25, coming off his first full season on an exciting team, and he never quite became a star, but he did have two incredible moments in that 1990 run to the World Series title. In interviews, Glenn comes off as very nice and friendly and just a warm individual. So I did ask Ryan Fagan, is he as nice as he seems? And Ryan said, he might be the nicest person I've ever interacted with in my entire life. I mean, Ryan's been on this podcast, so I guess that you know we know where we stand. But (laughs) it, it does show that Glenn is a super nice guy. I've read and seen some interviews with him, and he just seems like a very decent human being. He put together a really solid career and has had a successful life away from baseball in retirement, and he still shows up at fan events and team events like that Children's Hospital event a few years back. But I don't know that we've had a guy who's maybe best remembered for such a strange incident that wasn't a home run or a hit or a strikeout or a single moment. He could have been remembered for that NLCS home run saving grab But instead, most people, when they think of Glenn Braggs, they think of that snapped bat. And that took just incredible upper body strength. And it also just wasn't a fluke. You can tell it from Glenn's face, not a look of surprise. Tim Kirkshin told Glenn, I've never seen that before. And Glenn said, well, you haven't been watching me. That's the 15th time I've done that this year. So this moment showing up on national TV gets stuck in the consciousness of baseball fans and and of announcers. And they remember Glenn Braggs as that strong guy, where for Glenn, this was just any other Tuesday on a baseball field.
0: A fascinating player. And I do want to clarify for the record for Bill James that Glenn Braggs ended his career with a 5.8 war and Kirby Puckett had a 51.2. So that means that Glenn Braggs was about one ninth the player that Kirby Puckett was, much better than one tenth the player. So apologize, Bill James, for your terrible slander. Thank you very much for the story, David, and introducing us to Fort Braggs. And thank you to you at home. If you need to free your mind and the rest will follow, let us know how that goes. On Twitter, we're at tops 1988 Thanks a lot. and We'll see you next week.